All right, friends, we are at episode 17 of the Incredible Hulk podcast. This time around, we talked to radio broadcaster extraordinaire and uh, new media mogul. That might be a little bit of a stretch, but a dear friend of mine, uh, a philosopher, a wayward traveler, and a guy who's finally found his home in Montana. We're going to talk uh, a lot about this article that we both read, um, talking about the, the current climate in the United States and the inability to talk about things that are important and how you talk to your kids about things that are important and why going to a place that matters to you and getting entrenched in that community is a great way to start that. All right, so without further ado, it is episode 17 of The Incredible Halt podcast there are aspects of my personality that i can't control don't make me angry you wouldn't like me when i'm angry the incredible halt podcast now might be a really good time for you to get angry that's my secret i'm always angry raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars but we won't the incredible halt besides nobody's getting hurt podcast maybe if i can control it I can use it. Hear the music. It is the Incredible Hulk Podcast. My name is Eric Hulkrin. As always, you can get everything on theincrediblehulk.net. And this time around for episode 17 of the Incredible Hulk Podcast, I am joined by uh, one of my dear friends who, for some reason, through the 19 iterations of podcasts that I've done, uh, we've never actually sat down and done one of these, despite having about a thousand and a half conversations that... Uh, I think lean into this in some way, shape, or form. And so earlier today on Facebook, I posted this article um, that uh, actually Michael Gray, who was our guest today, shared with me um, about the the peanuts football trick and kind of how it explains what's happening in our conservative geopolitical universe that we're dealing with. So uh, we will get into all of that. We'll talk a little bit about um, why we shouldn't hunt mountain lions and and other things. But Michael Gray is joining (laughs) us. Michael Gray, how are you, my friend? I'm great. How are you? I am well. I'm I'm eclipsetastic. I guess that's what we're supposed to say today. How much did uh, How much eclipse did you get there in Michigan? Uh, well, I'm in Cleveland today, so um, oh. I actually got a little bit more than I would have had I been in Michigan. It looked like most of the photos from Michigan were pretty uninspired. So Cleveland was pre- actually pretty cool because it's a little bit further south. So yeah, uh, here in Helena, we were in the 94 percent zone. So um, we got we got quite a bit. And you survived. Look at that. Uh, I, I did. Uh, took a question, and I'm not making this up, from somebody here in town just minutes before peak eclipse at about 11.34 local time. Wanted to know if it was okay for pregnant women to be outside during the eclipse. And, and, and isn't like, that the perfect segue to what we're talking about today? <laughs> like, you know, so like, wow. I, I, yeah, right. I I was driving here today with a colleague and and she has a journalism back, background and we were we were talking about how how just difficult it is and I'm about ready to start the um Aquinas semester where I teach um understanding mass media and just how difficult it is to navigate through the ecosystem and make sense of what is actually happening and right. and forming a real opinion. And you had sent this article, which I have shared probably 150 times um, prior to putting on Facebook this afternoon, that was entitled The Peanuts Football Trick Explains Why Conservatives Keep Quiet About White Supremacy. And the idea here, which, I, I mean, kudos to... Um, the gentleman who wrote this being able to kind of articulate this. Cause I don't, I don't remember which one of my friends responded. Like that's the most brilliant thing I've read and I could never do that. So therefore I stay off Facebook. But the, the gist of this is on both sides of the aisle and correct me, Michael, cause you sent it to me is, is anytime they go to do the thing that you want them to do, they do it and you yank the football out of the way and say, yeah, that's what I wanted, but not from you. Yeah, I mean, and I think you can apply this. And obviously, this this particular article is just about um, you know the the issue of white supremacy in the wake of Charlottesville and and the conservative side of things. But you could just as easily write this and make it about the left. Um, you know, the the false equivalence that's gone on with all of our p- political conversations is such that no matter what the opposing side does, no matter what they say. The only job seems to be to find a problem with it. The only job seems to be to to poke holes in it and to to take the credit away from that side, to to discredit their argument or to disavow it completely. Um, You know, one of the quotes in the article was that, you know, wouldn't matter what Donald Trump said, because I don't believe him anyway. Um, You know, and I'm paraphrasing. 
No, that's but, that's exactly it's from the NAACP that said on MSNBC, yeah. it didn't matter what Trump said because I wouldn't believe him anyway. And at that point, and I, I, I don't think that that person's lying, but at that point, what does it matter what gets said? Um, and I think you and I have talked about this over the years, and, and I've certainly seen it become more bitter and more entrenched. And I think it's because, you know, I mean, personally, I think when you can pick your media, which you certainly can now, um, you can you can choose to go tribal and you can choose to live in an echo chamber and you can choose to take on what is supposed to be news and journalism that is intentionally crafted to reinforce your worldview. And then you just sit in that echo chamber and you get angrier and angrier and angrier watching them uh, carp and, uh, and carry on about the opposing side. And I think it applies on, on both the right and the left. Oh, it 100 percent applies on both sides, which is why this it makes it so difficult. And as we were driving up today, I was making the analogy. And although it's not a perfect analogy, I, I feel it fits a little bit is a lot of times uh, Freud gets misconstrued or misunderstood that he was putting people in two categories as an extrovert and an introvert. And he actually said that there are so few people on those two extremes that everyone falls into this category that he called an ambivert. And what's interesting in the last two years, you've seen a lot of people using that as their I'm an ambivert, which was what he was saying, you know, originally. And, and Michael, you and I can can embrace this as a broadcaster you spend all this time being an extrovert that when you get home you certainly become an introvert because you've just kind of given enough um and i I like this analogy when you hearken it to politics because for me personally it feels like i can see things on both sides that i agree with and lots of things on both sides that i don't agree with but you don't to your point you don't see that a lot at least if you're anywhere in the social ecosystem and you can talk about picking your own news but in some respects that news is targeted at you and you're not even picking it it's just making the echo chamber for you no i agree with that but you're also you know at some level you're choosing to to side you're choosing to 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 live in that in that zone and I have I've hearkened this to to sports forever. And, you know, after seven years working at a couple of ESPN outfits and, and covering sports fans, um, you know, especially right there in Michigan, where during Michigan, Michigan State Week, I could do a single 15 minute segment and I could get hate mail from both sides saying that I was being biased toward or against Michigan and Michigan State in the same segment with the same words, you know. I would get hate mail from but like, wow, how did I come down as pro D'Antonio and pro Harbaugh in the same sentence? That's that's stunning. And it it speaks to the inability or the disinterest in accepting a different view other than this very polar, positive, negative, black, white, red, blue existence that I think is very easy to understand. It's very comforting. And and most of all, like I said before, it's very tribal, you know, throughout millennia, maybe the the most important thing that people can be is accepted in a group. And they have to have that psycho psychologists will tell you over and over again that people have to have that tribe, Um, you know, and I think it's interesting in the article that you posted, you know, the the decline of a very clearly defined non secular world with people that identify themselves as spiritual more than religious um, you know, you you have to replace that with something. You know, if you were devout as a Catholic 40 years ago or a Protestant or a Muslim or a Jew, and, and that now has waned some, it doesn't mean that you're just free floating in the ether. It means you've had to focus that devout nature to something else. And our politics now have is, you know, the author makes the case that our politics have become that thing. Well, and and this idea that you're referring to of selective perception, right? You hear the same sentence and you attach a bias one way or the other to it to give it a different meaning. Whether or not the person saying it even has that intent, it makes it really difficult to, you know, as you said, have an educated conversation. And as we are, you know, a week and a half removed from Charlottesville, you know, you get in these really, really difficult places. And, and I know you tackled it a couple of days ago and I tackled it sometime last week where it, it's almost impossible to talk about this situation, even though we have to. Well, it's, it, it, I think it's, you know, my thing, I jumped on Facebook live there for like six minutes because it, it occurred to me on the air 
Um, and granted, I'm doing an entertainment show. I'm not doing hard hitting news and I don't pretend to. I'm not I'm not going to try. But it occurred to me, I can't talk about this. I can't talk about this issue because the audience, by virtue of the media that they get and by virtue of how we've defined the conversation, the audience is predisposed to, to are you on my team or not? And everything that you say, everything you can opine about, every opinion you can hold, every thought you can have, every emotion in your being is going to get distilled down through the filter to, are you on my team or not? And if you're not, then I'm going to write the manager or the owner of the radio station and demand you be fired. Because that's what we do in 2017. The only choice that we have for someone with whom we believe we disagree with, whether we really do or not, because we're not listening. We're just waiting for that <laughs> crystallizing moment. Right. We're just waiting for that flashpoint to go, aha, there it is. He's right wing. He's left wing. He's this. He's that. And then you immediately, you scorched earth. You call for their job. You try to ruin their family. Um, and you send them a bunch of angry emails. And you, you correlate that one opinion or that one thing that you perceive to apply to the entire agenda, which I've always had a problem with. Um, you know, you and I could go down the list of political issues and I'm going to look like a refrigerator magnet song lyrics because there are some things that I believe are, are right and wrong on both sides. And I've just kind of always picked a la carte. You know, I, I don't I don't believe in a in a partisan line to say that oh, I'm liberal or I'm conservative or I'm a Republican or I'm Democrat or even libertarian because then you got to buy a whole bill of goods. And mo I don't think most people work like that. But that's what it takes to initiate you into the tribe. You have to be on board. Yeah, but that's all they're waiting for. Well, and but what's interesting about that, as I just did that to you, so I apologize. Um, you know, what's interesting about that, to your point that you're, you're buying this whole bill of goods, is that in the same way, and we'll get into to journalism and media here in a second, but in the same way that that news or journalists uh, by proxy were created to be what was called the fourth estate of government to hold government accountable and be in an adversarial relationship with government. We're supposed to be in that same position. We're supposed to wake up every day with the understanding that these people are working for us, not the other way around. And if, in my opinion, if you look at the world through that lens, and you may or may not agree with this, but if you work, look at the world through that lens, it makes it very hard to find somebody that you universally agree with every single thing that comes out of their mouth if you're doing democracy right. That's absolutely true. But that's where the sports analogy comes back in. And it's about cheering. And the most important thing that you can do is win. That's it. That's all anybody wants. And in order for you to anymore, it's not even about winning on the issues. I mean, I think you look at this uh, this record low approval rating for Congress, uh, the the last six, seven months, whatever it is that, that Trump's been in office, for instance, how government function has just stumbled and bumbled and sputtered along. And it's about how you define a win and the win in in the political realm in our government. You can look at it and see that people are constantly changing the definition of a win because a win is no longer about something that equals you know, something tangible like a tax break or a, or a law passage or health care. It's about holding up an agenda. You know, if the if the left can just stall this thing the way that the right tried to stall the thing when Obama was in office, then that's a win. You know what I mean? And and so the most important thing is winning. You just have to beat the other side. And at that point, there is no common ground. There's no place to find consensus. And there's no, unfortunately, because of what we've done in putting these people in office and setting their priorities, there's no urgency to get stuff done because we'll just redefine how you win so that we can watch on Sunday and high five because because we're sports fans. You know, and that's that's where it, it occurred to me. I've used this with you a million times. You know, you're a Bears fan. I'm a Lions fan by birth. Uh, it's not our fault. We're born to it. Whatever. <laughs> um, I think we'd both rather be Packer fans if we could have a choice. Sure. Right? Yes. But, yeah. but but we can't. But you and I could sit. And in Gitmo-like circumstances, sleep-deprived for 48, 72, 107 hours, and never, ever talk the other one into liking these, you know, the other's team. That's never going to happen. But, but that's a game. <laughs> and it's ridiculous, and it's simple. And we cheer and we walk away knowing there's really no consequence. If the, if the Lions lose on Sunday like they do, eh, you know, I still put my kids to bed and, and get up on Monday and go to work. Um, 
you know, yeah, but, we're taking but that we're taking that same approach to this and this has consequences. Well, and that's what I was going to say. But that's the part where like the the synapses in my brain fall apart with this analogy, because, OK, so, you know, you suffer through five seasons with Jay Cutler and he's finally shipped off to Miami where he's going to win awards. Right. Because that's just how sports work. Um and, you know, they the Bears lose week in and week out and you go back to work and your kids are healthy and they go to school and your car starts and you pay your bills. Right. But when you move that over to this realm, when we don't pass a health care bill, when we don't do health care reform, when we don't pass tax reform, when we don't do this, that or the other thing, um, all the while we have North Korea that may or may not have nuclear assets that can be pointed at Guam. It feels like the, the, most people should be able to connect the synapses in their head to understand that there's more at stake here than wearing a jersey and flying the W in your garage. Well, I, and I think you're absolutely right. But here's the thing. You're watching your version of those events. I mean, it just, and it, as a way to kind of keep myself grounded in what's going on in the in the real world, when I try to avoid as much as possible, um, whenever there's a political flashpoint, and it doesn't matter what it is, healthcare, uh, Charlottesville, all of these stories that have unfolded over the last couple of months. I'll do a fun thing and just log on to CNN and then immediately log on to foxnews.com and look at the front pages side by side. And you can see the exact same stories. And and the presentation is 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 polar. There's one that is intentionally being pushed one way, one that's intentionally being pushed the other. And that distraction, you know, I don't know if it's if it's Huxleyan. I don't even know if Huxleyan is a word. It is um, a word. But, uh, you know, is that is that distraction enough to where we forget? And again, we're just we're just defining a win. We just want our team to win. So we're going to find a way to construe this. And if you've ever talked to a Browns fan and you're in Cleveland, you can hear that same process. There are people in Cleveland that believe their team can win this year and they can't. They won't. They're terrible. (laughs) But right now they're talking themselves into it. And they can find obscure stats and weird, well, yeah, but if so-and-so stays healthy and if so-and-so does this and if this falls the right way and if Ben Roethlisberger is abducted by aliens and maybe, you know, and they can go through this whole crazy thing and come up with a way to construe something positive for themselves. And we're doing the same thing. And we're doing it with the help of very, very carefully crafted narrative-driven media. So you have something that looks legitimate. You have something flying the flag of a broadcast network that's telling you what you want to hear and doing so in a way that, that stalls your urge to go, wait a minute, this is insane. None of you are doing anything. You're, this is, this is all a game. You're all, you're all puppets beholden to billionaire sponsors and you're not actually, you don't care about any of us. You, you, you know, you, there's a separation between the, you know, between the people running the country and the people living with their decisions that has never been wider. So you can only keep people unaware of that with the distraction. And what better to distract you than a win? I mean, you know, using flying the W as an example, I realize Chicago is your hometown. You think about life in Chicago with the crime rates and everything that's going on with that town economically and everything that's going on with the state of Illinois. And then ask anybody if they cared when the Cubs won. Nope. For now, Cubs win. Well, I would. And, I mean, and we're and we're in our happy place. You, and you know? I would say that they largely sit in their happy place. And and for some context of people who aren't necessarily, you know, understanding what's going on in that state, it's it's the next state that could <laughs> declare bankruptcy. Right? They haven't paid their bills in two years. They're not economically in a great spot. But they won the World Series, right? So who cares? But what what I find interesting about what's happening right now is we're having this argument about whether or not. And this is how I boiled this down this last week, right? We're having an actual argument as a country as to whether or not we're accepting of neo-Nazis and white supremacists, which feels like such a ridiculous thing to converse about. But that's actually what we're talking about is whether or not we're going to accept that behavior, which feels like, you know, I don't remember who the tweet was, so I apologize. I can't give that person credit, but it feels like to me the entire country went to war against the Nazis in World War II. So it feels like that's a that's a zero-sum game. We we don't actually accept that as any sort of accepted behavior. Yeah, I think I mean I I think that's self-evident, but I think the fight is it, you know though? going back but going back to the distraction. Yeah, I think it is. You know, the LA Times published a a 
a piece of literature from the ACLU about whether or not, you know, their their overarching approach as to whether or not the ACLU could protect Nazi demonstrations on American soil as free speech. And it was printed in 1934. This is not remotely a new issue. No, you know, we're, we're, con- nope. we're convinced that it is by Twitter. Like, well, whatever's happening right now is obviously, um, you know, that's that's the most important thing that could ever happen. Um, but, you know, the, the there's a real conversation about whether or not we believe the First Amendment covers this. But the distraction is such that if you can get somebody to jump on uh, a, a news network and go, those guys love Nazis. Everybody goes, wait, what? You love Nazis. Well, you're a dick. Right. Um, you know, and and that becomes the conversation. And you can never backtrack far enough. You can never go back. No, 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 no. Nobody loves Nazis. Stop talking. That's nonsense. But what about this? What about what we believe? We, If we believe in free speech, you know, I bristle whenever I hear free speech isn't hate speech because, well, yeah, it is. Um, it, it, it is. Ugly but... and just, you know. Sorry, go finish your thought and then I'll jump But in. just as hor- as horrible, that's a more complicated, nuanced conversation. You know, that that's something that's going to take some time. It's not sexy. You know, it's not it's not Flashpoint. It's not Monday Night Raw. You can't just pick a side like boo to that guy and yay, you know, the other guy. And that's, you know, these the news networks, they steer the conversation that way. And then I end up, I find myself a brick and go smack my forehead into it as hard as I can because I'm like, no, that doesn't. Nobody loves Nazis. Nobody wants to. I don't want a guy, the guy cr- across the street from me flying a Nazi flag. No, that's not the issue. But does he have the right to? That's a different deal completely. But we can't get there. No. Because you go so, you go so far down the Iron Sheik road, we're like, boo, Iran. And then, you know, you know there's never, there isn't any other thought necessary because the guy at the podium just said, well, they love Nazis. And and how do you, to your point, how do you put that genie back in the bottle? Right. And you've seen, you know, you know this is the part where it makes me uncomfortable. And I'm going to go back a second and then I'll go forward. One in 1934, I think that argument is a little bit different because it starts to attach itself to the sedition act, right? Where we're, there's actively a reason why we would want to not protect Nazi speech since they were still in play at that point. In 1970, when they approached this again and they they allow the Nazis to walk through Skokie, Illinois, uh, as protected free speech, which was a Jewish neighborhood, again, it's a different part of the conversation, but not necessarily connected to what you might have heard of the Espionage Act or the Sedition Act. And then fast forward to today, it becomes extra interesting because, like you said, we're now dealing with is free speech not hate speech where you know where does the line end what stuff should be protected how much does the, does the local government have control over letting these people come together or be disbanded you you know you to your point about the the flashpoint media you have those stories that are starting to pop up now that the trump administration downgraded the idea of um, homegrown white supremacist terrorist groups in 2000, right at the beginning of this year, that was put into effect by the Obama administration. They have since uh, reignited that for obvious reasons after Charlottesville, but you don't get to that point of the story because we're going to focus on they downgraded it in January of 2017, therefore this happened, therefore terrible. Well, and and even take that one step further, because I know what you're talking about with that article, they cited the the murder statistics committed by, you know, white sure. nationalists, yep. Nazis, all of that. And it was from the Obama era. That was, that was when the murders were happening. So they were doing this stuff. Where, where, where was the, you know, where was the flashpoint on that? And that's, that's the whole thing. Like if the, if the terrible stuff had been happening over the last 10 years, why weren't we talking about that? Why aren't we having that conversation? You know, and it and so many of these conversations involve uncomfortable subjects and they require more than a D plus average student to kind of filter through them. And I don't there's not a lot of effort put into that. You know, if you start out, um, you know, my my wife is a she's a communication specialist. She's public relations and she is a master when she and I come to are at odds about something of realizing when I may have an advantageous position and completely refocusing the argument on something else entirely. <laughs> and that's, I've actually learned the technique to where I'm like, no, 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 wait a minute. 
you can't make it about that because we're never going to get back to the original point. Right. You know, the, the original point was uh, you dropped my toothbrush in the toilet and then put it back. And that's mean. Um, and now you're telling me that I wasn't nice to your mom last Christmas. And that has <laughs> nothing to do with my toothbrush. Um, while you may have a valid point, that's a separate issue. Right. Those two Venn, that, that Venn diagram, there are no points of intersection between <laughs> my toothbrush and your mom at Christmas. Um, so it's, it's something that I, you know, I think you can recognize if you want to, but if you're a participant and if you have that, that pennant on your wall and you bought that Jersey, you don't want to, you know, there isn't that, that need for truth there because you're picking a truth that identifies with your worldview. You just want that reinforced. You just want to hear you guys are awesome. You're winning. They suck. They're losing. Go to bed. Um, and, and the networks, you know, they've learned they can make billions of dollars reinforcing your worldview. So what's there to be done? I mean, because, you know, because like what you said, and, and this was a similar conversation I was having this morning as I was prepping for this, you know, you said, well, when something happens, I go to Fox News and CNN and I watch them side by side. Like 8% of America, and that's being, that's being generous, 8% of America probably do that. Most people just get what is sent to them. Um, you know, we both know plenty of people that read headlines on Twitter, and that's their source of news. They don't have yes. any context at all other than right. whatever the 140 characters that they just consumed are, or the title of a video without watching the video, or, 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 right? Yeah, and, and I'm, or worse still, I mean, I'll, I post stuff and I try to keep it lighthearted on the Facebook page, but I mean, I'll have people in the comment section be like, yeah, I didn't read this, but man, that's terrible. Like, well, wait a minute. You don't, you don't even know what it is. <laughs> Maybe it's terrible. Maybe it's a cupcake recipe. Right. You don't know. You didn't read it. Right. You have no idea you what's know? behind that. Like, why are you responding to this? Why, why you know, and uh, so you get, you know, you can get even further along and, and that's, if I have a concern and this is where I start to sound like an old man. For, you know, millennials, for younger, the younger kids that won't even know or understand network news. They're, they're not going to understand Fox or CNN. That those, those things aren't going to matter to them at all. Um, but this, you, you know, whatever's, whatever's on your Facebook feed is real. And you, you've worked with this more than anybody I know. The algorithms and the way that your click throughs and all of the things that you opine about and like and dislike. And now they've got a whole realm of emotions you can express with the click of a button. Those help the computer curate what you want to see and hear. And so your, your news feed becomes more and more and more an echo chamber and more and more and more affirming of whatever your preconceived ideas were. And there isn't anybody there to go, hang on a second. First of all, half of that stuff wouldn't pass Snopes. Second of all, the other half is written in a way to kind of manipulate your brain. And third, you're a dumb dumb for not being interested in the fact that you're being manipulated. Um, you know, nobody wants to nobody wants to hear that they're adult. Uh, and that's you know, that's another thing that that works against going out there and finding real information. But I, I feel like again, I feel like when when you talk about what you want your country to be and this might be a little bit heady so i apologize but like when you talk about what you want your country to be i just think it's it's part of your job as a citizen to become informed and it's not part yes. of your job to be curated to and if you know again if if you're the type of person that went into the voting booth and voted for whomever having zero idea other than they were on your team you're not doing it right that's not how this is done at least that's not how it should be done. Um, no, and you're, and, you're and, and, and unquestionably. I'm, and I'm certainly not saying any in any way, shape, or form that's how we got here because I, I think that's the type of argument that gets us exactly what we're talking against. I'm just saying your job as a citizen is to read some shit. That's your job. Your job as a citizen is to understand who is on the ballot and why you are voting for them. It, to me, it's one of the things that I take a lot of uh, onus on because it's important to be active in your own democracy and active in what's happening. And if you're angry about Congress not doing anything and you haven't voted in the odd year elections, I mean, I know they're even years, but the, you know, the off presidential sure. elections, right. that's on you, bro. That is on you. You're as much well, culpable as the people there that aren't doing their job because they're not held accountable because you're not doing that. 
and they have a vested interest in low voter turnout. Yeah, of course they do. And and they have a vested interest in the subterfuge that that bores people into feeling helpless. You know, if you are a free thinking individual, if you are somebody that is, um, you know, has removed yourself consciously from the partisan conversation, it's it's really, really easy for me to understand why somebody would look at that and go, well, I have no chance. These two groups of lunatics are running the asylum and I'm just going to keep my head down and try not to get shivs. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people find themselves there and the people that are benefiting from it financially have a vested interest in continuing that. Um, you know, I, I arrived at a, at a, a different, you know, kind of a different decision making process for myself in the last couple of years. And it's it's doing no small part. That's why I'm in Montana is doing no small part to looking at what was happening, looking at, at what's going on and in urban centers, looking what was, you know, I lived in Seattle for two years. I got, I got a chance to see that political machine up close, um, you know, and, and there, there are some really, really unique aspects to the way that place is run. Um, and realizing that I couldn't have no part of it, that's not possible. Um, so find a remote part of it, maybe a place that's easily defended <laughs> and not nearly <laughs> as populated and, uh, you know, and a place that you can enjoy living where you're not necessarily going to be bombarded with it. I can quite selfishly leave my phone in the house and be 15 miles back in the Elkhorn Mountains in minutes. Um, and that's that's something that I did for myself with all of this going on, um, because I didn't I, I didn't and I don't see this thing self-correcting anytime soon. Because I'm watching these two these two sides dig in deeper and and the trench war is just proliferating. And anybody that's done any World War One history, just look up the photos. Trench wars are god awful things. Yeah, they never end well. Yeah, well, and the, you know, and it's you know, it's interesting. And, and we'll talk about Montana here in a second. But um, my parents came up two weeks ago. And um, I was talking to my mom the other day and she's like, hey, uh, I noticed that you you have a, a baseball bat next to your nightstand. And I'm like, well, yeah, because we haven't quite got around to buying a gun. And she's like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, well, <laughs> uh, like if you look at my house and you look the way that it's laid out, it's not to your point. It's not really ideal for defending in case anything happens. And we live in a country where something's probably going to happen. Where, you know, you now have to think, and, and this is an interesting space to be in, right? Where you have to think, well, if I go to the farmer's market, there's a possibility that somebody here is going to get in a car and try and drive all of us, drive over all of us, because that's the, the world that we live in these days. Um, and that's not to terrify people and make them stay at home. And as I was talking, my, my mom is getting inherently more nervous. And, I, I, and she's like, well, yeah, but how, how do you sleep? I'm like, I, I sleep fine. And she's like, well, how do you how do you justify those two statements, right? I need something to protect my family and I'm getting more protection for my family and I sleep fine. And I said, well, I approach it like this right now. I do as much as I possibly can to make sure that my family is safe when we go to bed at night. And then we get up every day and try and enjoy as much as we possibly can. The same being, I don't not swim in the ocean, even though I know that there are sharks everywhere. The idea right. being right at some point I might have to deal with a shark and I'll deal with the shark when it's time to deal with it. Until that moment, I'm going to enjoy the fact that we can enjoy the ocean. Yeah. And I think you, I mean, you think you have to live that way um, to the extent that you can, um, you know, I mean, the, the irony as we're having this conversation, my, my actual trip here, my actual drive wet the day I left was altered greatly by election night. I was planning to leave early in the morning, the day after election day. I was texting you that night. And by about eight o'clock Eastern time, I was watching the results come in and I realized that Donald Trump was going to win. And then I knew I couldn't be anywhere near Chicago in the morning. Right. And I had that thought in my head. I was like, I can't, I can't be in the third largest city in the nation uh, when God only knows what's going to happen. So I left at two in the morning and I rolled through Chicago at 4.30 a.m. local time. And got as far as Bismarck, North Dakota that first day. I did a thousand miles, took 18 hours hauling a trailer at 55 miles an hour. Um, but that was 
that was, you know, that was something that had to happen. And sure enough, when you go back and you look like Chicago was not happy. <laughs> right, they were, right. It was not a, it was not a good place on the 9th of November in 2016. And I was right to be through Illinois and away from, uh, you know, all of that and past Minneapolis and all, you know, everything that goes with, with that as well. Um, you know, and that's the first time it was one of those things. I, it's the first time I really had confronted it in a long time. And, you know, I told my wife, I go, this is this is why I'm going to Montana. I don't want to ever think about this again. I don't, I don't ever want to have to worry that something near my home or something in my path of travel is it, it, just by virtue of the population that's there represents a threat to to our security, to our life and limb, um, because people are going to be upset about something that I had nothing to do with. But there's still it's still a threat. And I have to do whatever I can to to avoid that up to and including just going on no sleep and bombing through town under, you know, under cloak of darkness to make sure that I was past Chicago at a reasonable time. Um, you know, that's, that's something I haven't forgotten. And I've been out here. It'll be a well, it'll be a month in November, obviously, or a year in November, rather. Um, and it's it's something that I haven't forgotten because I haven't had a single thought remotely like that since. Um, you know, my concerns are things about staying on uh, trails and making sure I remember my GPS so I don't get lost and eaten uh, in the woods. Yes. Um, don't do that. You know, well, it's, you know, those you trade one level of concern for the other. If I get eaten by a bear, at least I feel like that was a fair deal. You know, um, if I get, if I get thrown off a highway overpass, it's, you know, um, I'm not going to feel as good about that one. It's going to be harder to write the obit. So, you know, I, I think one of the, the questions that, uh, we all um, struggle with when we have children is like how how do you talk to them about all of this stuff and and not you know not not that you need to tackle that in one big gulf but like you move out to Montana what what is that conversation like and then when you know they clearly have access to media because everybody does like what sure. are, what is that what are those conversations in your house like because your your kids are of very different ages. Um, and so their understanding is probably at a very different level. What, you know, what is that like as for you as a parent right now in 2017 to see this sort of stuff happening? Well, and my kids are six and nine. My daughter's uh, nine years old. Boy is six. Um, and I don't think the conversation's any different because I'm in Montana to your point about, you know, the digital media and, and everybody's got access to things. And you are not less likely to run into somebody who's going to spout political rhetoric at you here as you are anywhere else. Um, there are just a whole hell of a lot fewer people here, um, you know, to, to put it to scale, uh, it's the fourth largest state in the nation at 145,000 square miles, give or take, um, with just a hair over a million people in it, in the whole thing. Wow. Um, there's 9 million people in New York city. So, um, it's just, it's, I, I think there's a, there's a different pace. There's a different space. Um, you know, things aren't as urgent as population density can make them. Um, but the conversation doesn't change. I mean, I think you, you have a responsibility to explain some people believe this, some people believe that, um, you know, I mean, my, my daughter started asking me leading up to the election because she had kids in her class talking about what their parents were saying. And she said, you know, or who are you voting for? Are you going to vote for Hillary Clinton? Or are you going to vote for Donald Trump? And why do you like the people that you like? And, what goes into all of that? And I think, you know, to the extent that you can, you, you have an honest conversation and, and try to be careful to curate the, the, the details so that, you know, they can, they can understand them at, at their given ages. What, so having a nine-year-old, what, you know, what is that when she says they're saying stuff in school, like what sort of stuff are they saying? Is it already starting? Is that, that my team? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, you got kids coming to class going, oh, Donald Trump's the best or or Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton's the best. And even more than that, the other, whoever the opposing side is, is terrible. They're the devil, um, you know, which I think in a lot of in a lot of cases ends up being the more important talking point. It isn't necessarily so much about who you're for as who you're against. And and kids pick up on that big time they're so perceptive to negative energy and that's you know that's not science or dr spock that's just my own observation <laughs> Dr. Spock. um you know they're they're so perceptive to to negative inputs and 
so when they go and they're amongst their peers and they're amongst their other classmates, they're going to be more likely to parrot those things. And so your kid comes home having heard terrible things spewed about candidate A or candidate B. And they, you know, and then they want to know, like, why is that person? Um, why is that person Satan? Why is that person the devil? Why is this? Why is this kid saying this about this person? Do you like them? Well, you know, because I'm not supposed to like that. They, they said they're terrible and they want to know what to think about that. Um, you know, the conversation that I've had with my daughter is more about, look, people have very, very strong opinions about these things. You want to be very careful about that. You want to think for yourself. You, you want to you want to worry about the things that are important to you. Are they important to that candidate? Are they important to this person that you want to vote for? Um, it's not necessarily about who you like. It's not necessarily about who your friends like, but who believes the things you believe and how strongly do you believe them? You know, and, and you try to I, I've tried to approach it that way. I'm, I won't be writing a book on parenting anytime soon, so I don't know that that's <laughs> worth anything. Um, uh, but that's I mean, that's that's how the conversation went even before I left Michigan. Well, but I, I, I asked the question because there is clearly scientific proof that people are not born racist. That's a thing that that's kind of born out of what happens in and around their household. And I'm interested as you know, my my kids are soon to be six and soon to be two. You know, so I'm not seeing any of that stuff. Right. The, the biggest argument right. they have is as to which Paw Patrol character they think is better than the other, right? Which is a little bit easier to navigate because clearly there's it's Sky, right? Um, but you know, so I'm interested in how soon those sorts of conversations start to bleed into the social spaces of these kids, and maybe you know, maybe I'll my daughter's going to go to kindergarten here in a week. You know, maybe that's when I'll start to see it when it's in a more school-like environment as opposed to a daycare summer camp environment. I, I just, right. it's interesting to me. Well, and, and the conversation gets, it grows exponentially as they go. And by the way, it's rubble sky nonsense. Um, <laughs> but uh, I knew, uh, I, knew you, I knew you'd bite on it eventually. I just didn't oh, know. Of course. Why. No, I, well, I wanted to let you finish. Um, it's, it, it's something that, you know, I mean, with, with my daughter in the last three years, and it's weird because now I can see my son at six and my, my wife has said some things like, don't you remember when she was six, kind of a nightmare with this and this and that, and that's all smoothed out. Um, you know, they, their intellectual capacity is just, you know, it's, it's, it's growing exponentially. And, you know, they're always going to be looking to you, at least as long as that communication is, is healthy. And as long as there's a, that connection remains healthy. And that's my goal. That's my only goal with my kids really is to keep that line of communication open so that they know no matter what, yeah, we can talk about this. If it's uncomfortable, we can still talk about it. If it's something you're nervous about, we can still talk about it. Um, that you have a, that you have an honest conversation with whatever they bring home, because that's all you can be responsible for. What you can't answer for is what the other kids are going to bring. What you can't answer for is what a, what a teacher is going to say or what they're going to hear in the hallway or what an administrator might, you know, drop on them. Um, because other people are going to have a completely different barometer for what your kids are ready for or what they should be hearing. Um, and people are none too shy about just dropping that on, on kids. So, you know, I mean, my, my mission is to make sure that when that happens, not if, but when that happens, they can come home and, and then we can talk about not just whatever that issue is, but why somebody felt like they could express that, why somebody felt the need to tell them that. And why anybody who would pick sky over rubble probably ought to rethink themselves. <laughs> um. Fair, fair, uh, fair enough. I mean, we can we can have an educated conversation. I mean, she she can fly for Christ's sake. Like seriously, he's got a bulldozer, dude. Come on, stuck on the yeah, ground I mean, though. I mean, he's got a bulldozer. She's mobile though. This is like, are you like, are we going to have an, and I'm dead serious. Like, do you want to have an argument over what's better, Daenerys dragons or ghost? Like, that's not an argument. Um, well, no, but Rubble doesn't have dragons and neither does Sky. So, uh, you know, but Sky Sky's like a closer to a dragon than a bulldozer is <laughs> by function of mode of transportation, Correct. by function of she's already in the sky. <laughs> OK, well, by that by that account, then obviously the yellow jacket that I'm staring at that's dead on my screen is cooler than a mountain lion because it can fly. 
um, despite the fact that it's dead on my screen and won't uh, be flying anytime soon. Yeah, and that's a harder one, though, because I feel like mountain lions are like ninja cats, you know, like they're just some But they sort can't of... fly. They're on the ground. But you don't know that they're there, so they could be anywhere. See, I could do this, this all day. This is this just took a turn for the Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know what? They come home and they disagree with you for the first time. Let's start there. Like we're five years from now. It's obviously not when they're nine, but maybe when oh, they're, they're not waiting. They're not waiting. No, 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 no. I know, but like when it when when there are stakes attached to it, right? Sure. Um, what is that conversation like? Let's 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 hypothetically say they take the opposing view in the 2020 election of whoever it is that you would like to vote for. What is that? What's that conversation like? And, and how do you pass that information on to make sure that when they go have that same argument with their friends, that it can remain as neutral as possible while still being respective of the fact that you have the right to argue? Well, I think that you got to have the conversation that you and I are having. Um, and, and I think you got to have it the way that you and I wish we could have it w- uh, on a more mainstream level. Um, you know, when it comes to kids disagreeing or saying no or picking another lane, as long as there's no threat, if it's a difference of opinion, uh, as opposed to a, a, a difference of safety or, or something that's going to cause uh, harm or danger, I think you have that conversation. To, you know, if you want to if you want to make a difference and get Buddhist and I have uh, not in the, not in the clinical sense, but I've certainly kind of co-opted the, the theory that, look, I'm going to try to make a difference in my little bubble. Because I can shout into the void on the internet about the greater evils involved in the world and all of the terrible things that are out there, and I'm just contributing to the nonstop noise machine. Um, you know, with kids, with with being a parent, you have maybe the most um, maybe the most impressive weapon in your arsenal to truly affect change, to send another human being out into the world with an uh, with an understanding that you think advances the cause, um, you know, whatever that cause is. In my case, it would be about hearing other people because what I've seen in my own family, what I've seen with people that I love and care for very deeply um, has been this, this entrenchment combined with despair. You know, the, the other part of this, and we haven't really talked about it is the, the misery and fear that the news networks push on you all the time. Um, that feeds into the our team's got to win because if their team wins, we're all going to die. Um, you know that that sort of thing. I've seen it, and I've had I've had almost the exact same conversation with my dad, who had an eight by ten framed photo of George uh, George W. Bush, was a charter founding member of the National Rifle Association, and as died in the wool, right wing as you could be. I had the exact same conversation on election day when Obama was elected to his first term as I did with my sister, whose overriding uh, set of issues include uh, LGBTQ rights and, and a number of things associated with the left. I had the same conversation with her that I did with my dad on election day when Donald Trump was elected. And it was fear. It was this is going to ruin everything. This is going to change everything. We're not going to be able to be Americans anymore. We're, we're not going to be able to live our lives. This is going to destroy the fabric of this country. And I'm having this conversation with both of them in the opposite direction over the exact same thing. And they're both just hitting me with talking points from their favorite media outlets. And, and it, you know, it occurred to me at the time, I'm like, wow, this is what, this is what fear does. It just makes you irrational to the point of, to the point of where you don't, it makes you deaf. You don't hear anything anymore. You don't you don't hear the other view. You don't want even want to hear that you're going to be OK. <laughs> right. You, you know, because you, what I told both of them, I'm like, settle down. All right. <laughs> the guy you didn't want to win won. But it's not the end of the world. It's four year term. See what happens. Um, you know, and, and at least with, you know, with with Obama, I think he went through two terms and now you have an actual stat sheet. You can look at the scoreboard and go, OK, what were your fears? what were realized, how much were, you know, how much actually came to fruition? How much did you learn about the political machine when you saw his campaign versus uh, campaign promises versus his execution? What if you look at George W. Bush? What if you go to Ronald Reagan? What if you go to Bill Clinton? What if you look at any of the the other modern era presidents and look at what they said they were going to do 
what actually got done and why. Um, but that, you know, effective misforecasting where we, the psychological um, state of things where we tend to overestimate the intensity and duration of things happening in the present uh, causes people such fear that they, you know, that they, they let themselves go to this place where it's really happening. It's real to them. Um, you know, it's the guy talking to Terry Funk from the bleachers. Still real to me, damn it. Well, um, yeah, and, and that, you know, the, you know th- that that exposure theory, because that's what that, that is, is, you know, you get in this eco chamber and you suck up all that stuff. It gets really, really hard to get out of. And especially if we're spending, you know, upwards of two whole hours a day, which doesn't sound like much, except it's every day, two whole hours staring at Facebook. And if it's telling you that, right, because it doesn't matter what side of the, the fence that you're on, right? If you're on the right or on the left, you are getting two of two types of messages all day long that your team did this, 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 and this right. And your team is threatened here, 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 and here. Um, and then rinse and repeat. And what's interesting is we, um, you moved shortly before, shortly after, I should say, we moved into a new neighborhood. And, and right about the time you moved is when we started to finally get to know some of those people. Cause when you move in, it takes a little bit to kind of get used to them. And, the neighborhood we came from was a pretty tight knit community and we were able to have some really interesting conversations and, you know, uh, bonfires and stay up late and talk about stuff happening in the world. And it's taken a minute, but, but we're having the same sorts of conversations. And I, I, I wanted to share something that, um, not one of my neighbors, but somebody else posted and kind of reflect on why community is almost more important than media when it comes to this sort of point of view. And and he posted on Saturday and yes, there's a bit of hyperbole here and yes, it's a little bit ridiculous. However, there's a lesson in here. And uh, he said, social experiment time. What would happen if every person in the United States for the next 365 days, I would take minutes, but we'll do days, stopped watching every news channel completely shut off their social channels and began forming their beliefs about the world around them and their fellow humans based on real life experiences, conversations and interactions. What would that look like? And, you know, to your sister and to, you know, your father, what would, what would have changed in those situations had they been having that conversation, not only with you, but without media influencing that fear that you're talking about? Yeah, it's so, it's so hard to say because both of them are in a better place geographically than their moods and attitudes would indicate. Sure. Um, you know, it's, and it's something that I'm conscious of, you know, my, my dad's no longer with us. My sister is, um, you know, she's, she's doing her own thing, but coming out here to Montana, um, you know, part of the goal was, was getting, allowing yourself an environment, a physical environment that would endorse that kind of thinking that would make it possible to focus on the important stuff to get to know the people around it. You know, my kids go to a very small school in a very small town here in Montana. There are two classes for every grade K through eight. There are two kindergartens, two first grade classes, two second grade, um, so on and so forth. And the classes are all around 18 to 23 students. Um, you know, everybody, I know the guys that work at my post office because I have a post office box now because I don't have a mailbox because I'm too far off the beaten path. Um, I, I know the guys at the, the local tavern. I know the guys at the local gas station. I know, you know, you, you encounter the same people over and over again. And, you know, that was a conscious part of this because I wanted that. I wanted that for my kids and I wanted that for me um, because the anonymity of, of even a city the size of Grand Rapids uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where, you know, where you are, um, even that anonymity for me was was discomforting at this at this stage of my life. Um, you know, and, and I, I was seeing some of the things that it was churning out in terms of products. Cause we all know parents and, and kids and other things. And when you see what can happen with that and, and my experience in Washington, again, with, with Seattle, where my daughter started school in a much bigger environment, um, you know, I wanted an environment that would, it, it automatically just by virtue of its, of its complexion, that it reinforced that same notion that you can define your day-to-day reality without the distraction of the box. If you choose to, that you can, you know, I've, uh, I've, I've disconnected from K I've got Netflix. Um, you know, that's it. And I, well, I guess Amazon TV, although I don't watch it, but, 
Um, Don't worry, no one else does. So I've I've got I've got Netflix. Um, Three episodes into the Defenders, you know that's you should that's it. You should have skipped the first three. It it takes off after that. Yeah, well, I mean, I I was pretty impressed because um, normally when Rosario Dawson shows up is when all of these series grind to a halt for four episodes, but then she was in episode (laughs) one. So I'm like, oh, we're just gonna start out there, just like. Iron Fist is still going to be a flaky mess of neuroses, and there's Rosario Dawson, I guess. Um, but uh, you know that that the to force me outside, to force me to um, to the extent that that I can to embrace the things that I believe are important, because I was finding myself um, increasingly becoming hypocritical, and increasingly being affected by the distractions. That if you were to get me in a in a logical mode, I would de- I would bemoan those like ah that's not important. Don't pay attention to Facebook. Don't pay attention, and yet I'm living on it. Um, you know, don't don't worry about the the shiny box and all of the the stupidity of fantasy football and all of those things. And yet I was I was falling in with that. Um, you know, and it's so easy. It's so pervasive. It's one of those when everybody's doing it. How how do you make a case for not? Well. You know, I, I got very, very lucky and had an opportunity to move to a place that I knew for a fact um, everybody wasn't doing that. I mean, I, I live straight up suburban compared to some of the folks just around the corner of the mountain here from me. Um, <laughs> you can get into some pretty remote country in a whole bunch of a hurry in just a couple of miles from where I live um, and find some people that, you know, if you started talking to them about Netflix, they got nothing. They don't, you know, they don't know what you're talking about. Um, because I don't, I'm, you know, and you and I could probably get into this for another three or four hours. I don't have the faith in humanity that you do. <laughs> I don't, I keep looking at this going, man, this doesn't end well. I just hope it ends badly after I'm gone. But like, here, you know, here's I, what I would say though. And, and I, I don't dis, disagree with that, that on, on that spectrum, we, we aren't necessarily in the same spot, but sure. I would say in the last year, um, outsider looking in you have become a much different human because you finally found the space that you're supposed to be in and and i would say if you take away anything from the last hour of conversation it's you got to find the space that you're supposed to be in and and live there right there's that zig ziglar quote as far as marketing goes that i'd like to ascribe to your life is go go move someplace and then live there the idea being get involved in your community get involved in your kids lives get involved in the school system get involved in everything that you possibly can so that you have a hand in how all of this stuff turns out yeah and that's something that i've been afforded the opportunity um you know and and we had to make some some tough decisions as a family and certainly um you know moving as much as we have and we've moved across country four times since 2011 um that's not easy to go michigan nebraska nebraska washington washington michigan michigan montana um that it's it's been tough on everybody but ultimately you know i I think I found a place and I think in all of the, all of that moving, you learn things and kind of pick up different parts from different parts of the country and, and different aspects that you, you wouldn't know about if you didn't live there, you know, to your point, find, find where you got to be and live there. Um, for me, I couldn't figure that out without being a bit of a gypsy for the better part of a decade um, to, to find that and to find out that some of these places that quite honestly, I wouldn't have been sure existed. Um, that wow, you can you can still live that way. Uh, I was eyeballing Alaska, if we're being honest. Um, and and people look at me like I'm a lunatic, but I was I was legitimately looking into opportunities in Alaska, and ended up with something that for the family and and actually for myself worked much better. But it was through a lot of travel and some trial and error and some real genuine heartache that uh, that I got there. And and for me that it, it turned out to be hugely important. The location tell ended up being. Um, a way bigger deal to me than it would be to somebody else. Um, and there are folks out there that I know that born and raised in the same place and that's all they ever wanted. And they're completely content and they're balanced and, um, you know, they're in a wonderful spot and that's great for them. You know, my, my method was a little more herky jerky and, uh, involved a lot more packing, but, uh, I, I feel like, I, I feel like, you know, the ends justified the means a little bit. As I'm sitting here talking to you, uh, looking at Tizer Mountain and wondering whether or not the elk are going to come out here in a couple of hours. 
Well, like I said, it, it sounds like you're in a much, much better place. Um, my friend, that kind of wraps up the hour, so we can kind of, we'll leave it here. Uh, but if people want to get a hold of you on Facebook and Twitter, how do they do that? Uh, it's all the same, at the Michael Gray, uh, the Michael G-R-E-Y. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Um, you know, if you're going to follow me on Snapchat, do it quick before Snapchat goes away. Um, yeah, come on. <laughs> are you going to tell us to get off SoundCloud, too? Is that what we're going to do? Is that how we're closing this out? No, I will not tell you. Be on whatever cloud you want with Sky, and uh, I'll go ahead and take rubble, and we'll stay here with our feet planted on the dirt, terra firma. Um no, that's uh, that's where to find me, uh, the Michael Gray, all over that. And obviously, once this is up, I'll make sure that uh, that it's posted so people can uh, get an extended dance remix of kind of what I was trying to say last Friday when I was letting this stuff bang around inside of my brain. All right, my friend. Well, thank you for the time. It was great, man. Let's do this again sometime. Yeah, dude, I would love to. Um, like I, I said earlier, with this season, for whatever reason, I thought 60 was a good number. So I'll probably be calling you a lot. <laughs> I'll be here. All right, buddy. Take care. Take care.